Feel the power of hell. 
that this morning.
great and mighty Savior, there's no one higher than you. You were always with us, gracious to forgive us. By your power, we've been set free. And Lord, we stand amazed in your presence. Astounded by your mercy and love Our hands are lifted high in surrender Your grace for me is always enough There is no one higher than our God There is no
How's everyone doing? Do me a favor and smile. It's good to be in God's house. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, and you know there's a lot of people that are gone. They're traveling. I mentioned to a few as they came through the door. Can you turn me down just a tad, please? It feels like I'm screaming. Um, that, that we need to find out where everyone is at, and then we're going to go join them um, for Memorial Day. Maybe we'll grab a hot dog, a hamburger, a steak. Uh, maybe it's at the beach. Maybe camping. I don't know. But the uh, point is, is they're all gone, and we're not because we love Jesus more than they do. Amen. No, it's good to be in God's house, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, listen, it's Memorial Day weekend, and let us remember uh, the purpose for that. I love our veterans, and I appreciate all that they've done in serving us, but it's not their day. This is the day that we remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice with life and blood so that we could have the freedoms that we have today, that we could come and assemble and worship God freely. And it reminds us of the greater sacrifice that was made on the cross, that also his life and his blood given so that we could have freedom uh, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate good news today. Amen? Well, listen, I want to, as, as Lance mentioned, um, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And 1 Samuel chapter 4, the title of the message, I'll just tell you up front, is called A Tragic Day in Israel. Um, it's kind of the narrative of this text takes a turn, and I want to look at that for a moment and share a, a message with you, hopefully that all of us will listen to and, and just ask the Lord, what do you want me to get from this today? Um, how can I learn from this text today? Because I believe God's Word is alive, it's active, and it is able to, to direct us if we're listening, amen, and then to change our lives. And so I want to begin this morning just by simply reading the passage of Scripture, and then we'll dive right into it. So chapter 4, verse 1, join with me. It says, at the time, or at that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Great question. Then they said, Let's, uh, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was at. That's where they kept the Ark of the Tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. It says, if we carry it into battle with us, it will save us. From our enemies. So they went to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were, all, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud that it made the ground shake. Just imagine how, how celebratory that must have been when the Ark was coming into the camp. The Philistines, it says, what's going on? The Philistines asked, what's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help, who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves, or the Hebrews' slaves, just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So the Philistines fought desperately, and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the examples in your word, and I ask that as we just look at this story in the life of Israel, that you would show us a bottom line, a truth uh, Lord, that is still very real in our own hearts and lives. And I pray that you would just open our eyes, let us behold wonderful truths from your word. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been following us, we've been in the book of 1 Samuel, and, and 1 Samuel chapter 1 begins with a woman who prayed this bold prayer, a prayer that would change history. She was barren, and she needed a son, and she wanted a son, and the Lord answered her prayer, and she delivered a little boy named Samuel, and she dedicated him to the Lord, and he would spend his time at the temple. And so much of 1 Samuel is going to talk about the life of Samuel as a prophet, as a judge, and as a priest to the children of Israel. 
And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Samuel's call, how God called out to Samuel. And he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How we all should have that same attitude. Well, the, the narrative takes a little bit of a turn here in chapters 4, 5, 6, and at the beginning of verse, uh, chapter 7. Um, and it's no longer speaking about this person, Samuel, but it's kind of, if it were a movie, it's like changing scenes from the character of Samuel to the condition in which he lived. It's like changing scenes to the, the backstory. Here's what's going on. And we find ourselves in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, at that time, they were at war with the Philistines. So they go to battle with the Philistines like they would many other times in, uh, throughout Scripture. And it says that the Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines were at Aphek. And the Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. That's a bad day, isn't it? So 4,000 people were, were killed. And so naturally, they're wondering, what happened? So it says they go back to the camp and they start asking the question, great question, why has the Lord allowed us to be defeated by the Philistines? That's a good question. The Lord's been with us in the past. The Lord was with us when we conquered Jericho. The Lord was with us when we came into the promised land. Why has he allowed us to be defeated? Great question. Wrong answer. Look at the next verse. Their idea was, and it says, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. Now, that makes sense at first because if you're, if you're following along with history, you know that the Ark of the Covenant is an extremely important piece of their worship. It was the Ark of the Covenant of God that symbolized the presence of God. David said it is the footstool of God, like God's throne is in heaven, but it's at that Ark where he would meet and dwell with his people, and it was in the tabernacle in Shiloh. And so naturally, they're thinking, we just need God's presence with us, and we'll be victorious over our enemy. I mean, think about it. We took the Ark of the Covenant when we were crossing in to the Promised Land. You remember the story? The priests put their feet into the water of the Jordan. It was at flood stage, and it says as soon as their feet touched the water, it retreated, and it was dry land, and all of the Israelites were able to pass across the Jordan on dry land. Well, one of the things that they were told to do was the priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant of God out into the middle of the Jordan River and stand there. And as long as they were standing there, the waters were retreated and all of Israel would pass right by the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they would see God's presence in the midst of them and they would go across the land on dry ground. Pretty cool, right? And later as they went to Jericho, the big first test in the promised land, they marched around Jericho seven times. They carried with it the ark of God's covenant. For them, it was like God is with us. God is leading us into battle and he'll make us victorious. And so it makes sense that they would say, hey, let's go get the ark of the covenant of God and let's bring it back with us and he will help us defeat our enemies. It was the right question. Why has the Lord allowed this to happen? But that's the wrong answer. And so the story goes on that there was a big hoopla when they heard the ark was coming because naturally they, they thought that that was going to give them the edge over the enemy. The Philistines fought like never before and they defeated Israel again. This time on one day, it says 30,000 people, 30,000 soldiers died on that day. The loss was heavy. It says the survivors turned and they fled to their tents. This is an old idiom, you know, like raining cats and dogs. It's a catchphrase. Fled to their tents, like say, I give up, I'm going home. And many of them fled to their tents. But in verse 11, it says the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God was captured. It's the first time in Israel's history that the Ark of God's Covenant was not in their possession. It was captured by the enemy the first time. So it was a big deal, right? A big loss. And on top of that, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli the priest, which were also priests themselves, were killed in this battle. It's a pretty bad day, right? A tragic day, a disastrous day. And then Eli, who's now old as the priest, he's sitting at the, the gate of the city, and it says his heart trembled for the safety of the ark of God. You know that he was thinking about the ark the whole time it was out. It's like, just be careful with the ark of the covenant of God. Bring it back safely. He's just thinking about it. And whenever the news came back to the town of all that had happened on the battlefield, Eli was wondering, what's all the commotion? What's going on? And then they began to tell him what happened. Hey, the Israelites have been defeated again. Oh, and your sons, Eli, or excuse me, Hophni and Phinehas, have been killed in battle. Many of your soldiers have been killed in battle. And then when they said, and the Ark of the Covenant of God has been captured, it's at that point that Eli fell backwards from the place he was sitting and he broke his neck and he died there also. 
His daughter-in-law, who was married to Phinehas, found out that her, dad, her father-in-law was dead, her husband was dead, and she was pregnant. And it says it caused her to go into labor, and then she died in childbirth. All the same day, she died in childbirth. But before she died, she named her child Ichabod, which means where is the glory? The glory of God had departed from Israel. It was a very bad day. In fact, if you were given it a title, a movie title, you might say it was a horrible, no good, very bad day in Israel. And if you look at verse 7 or chapter 7 at the beginning, that says that the ark, so the ark of the covenant was in enemy territory for seven months. There's some really cool, if you want to go ahead and read chapters 5 and 6, God displays his power and his sovereignty even in the midst of the enemy. That's awesome to read. But for the sake of time, we're going to skip past that. But look at chapter 7, verse 2. It says, the ark remained in curieth Jerium, not Shiloh, not at the tabernacle, but after seven months in captivity, it's back among the Israels, Israelites. And it says, during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. It was a very discouraging time in Israel. and It felt like the Lord had abandoned them. So the natural question is this, did God abandon the children of Israel? Or worse, is God not powerful enough to save himself from being captured. Think about it. This is the ark of the God, the God of Israel, the ark of the covenant, the very presence and power of God displayed among his people. Is he not powerful enough to keep himself from being captured and taken into captivity? Did he abandon his people? Well, to kind of give us a little insight of what really was going on, consider Psalm 78. And if you have a chance later to read Psalm 78, it's a lengthy psalm. But within that, verses 56 uh, on through 64 and beyond speak specifically of this event in 1 Samuel. Listen to what it says. But they kept testing and rebelling against God most high. They did not obey his laws. They turned back and were as faithless as their parents. They were as undependable as a crooked bow. They angered God by building shrines to other gods. They made him jealous with their idols. When God heard them, he was very angry, and he completely rejected Israel. Then he abandoned his dwelling at Shiloh, where the tabernacle was at, where he had been living among the people. He allowed, he allowed the Ark of the Covenant of his might to be captured. He surrendered his glory into enemies' hands. He gave his people over to be butchered by the sword because he was so angry with his own people. His special possession, their young men were killed by fire. Their young women died before singing their wedding songs. The priests were slaughtered and their widows could not mourn their deaths. Verse chapter 78 of Psalm tells us a little insight of what's going on there. God was rejecting his people. God was angry with his people. There was a reason for his yielding his self, his glory to the enemy's camp. It was a very disastrous, tragic day for Israel. Encouraging, isn't it? A, a, a very tragic day in Israel. And so you have to ask the question, what went wrong? Just like they did. Hey, why did God allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? What's going on here? Well, if you were to go back and look at the context, you know that God gave a warning to Eli and his family because of their wickedness that he was going to put an end to their family as priest and he was going to allow the two sons as a sign that this was God speaking, both of your sons, Eli, will die on the same day. So if you're just looking at it at face value, you know what happened. This is just fulfilling what God said was going to happen. But if you go a little deeper than that, if you go to a root problem, the question is, what's going on here? Why did all of this take place? Why did they have a very tragic, disastrous day? I would add that it was totally avoidable. You know, some of the things that we, we encounter in life we can't control. I mean, it's unavoidable tragedies and, and hardships in life, but there are some things that um, I call it stupid tax, some things that we do, right? And we bring things into our, our life where we're thinking, man, I just wasn't thinking, I was careless and in this situation with the Israelites, I believe it was a totally avoidable disaster, a totally avoidable situation that they experienced. But there's one word that comes to mind, and I want us to get it. We don't hear this word a whole lot, but this word I think says it all. It's the root problem in this whole story. Here it is. Ready? Indifference. In fact, say that with me. Indifference. Well, what is indifference? Well, indifference, um, according to the dictionary, is a lack of interest or concern. It means lacking importance, something that's not important to you anymore. Absence of feeling, some of the synonyms for that word is callousness, 
insensitivity, aloofness, carelessness. And here's what's going on. The children of Israel had the God of the whole universe dwelling amongst them, and they were aloof to his presence, to his word, to his commands, to worship of God. It wasn't important to them. It had become a ritual. It had become a tradition. I mean, God's over there in the tabernacle, but if you go back to what was going on in this context, the Bible says in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There's a problem there. And so there was indifference in the camp. There was indifference among them. In fact, um, if you consider all the disaster I spoke of, look at the indifference that's spoken of in chapters 2 and 3. It says, now, Eli's sons were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. So they had no respect for the Lord. They had no respect for their priestly duties. They're priests, and they didn't care about what they were doing. They were stealing people's offerings as they came in. And so they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt They were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. All this was going on under Eli's watch, the priest, the dad of these two sons who were also priests. So the wickedness is not just the children of Israel, but it goes all the way to the top in the leadership. There was an aloofness. There was an insensitivity toward God, a carelessness there. And as Samuel was approached by God and God gave him that dream, God says, I'm about to do something shocking in Israel. He says, I've warned him, talking about Eli, that the judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God. It was a pretty serious sin. And he says, and he, Eli, hasn't disciplined them. And you see this, this, this collectiveness along with the culture there in that day that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you see the problem, the root problem there was indifference. And so here's the bottom line. If you don't get anything else I say today, let me just, in this case especially, but I also believe it's true in our case today. And here it is. Indifference towards God can be disastrous. Indifference toward God, at least in this case, it's very obvious, it's painfully obvious, their indifference toward the holy God of Israel was very disastrous for them, right? It wasn't just by chance that they got beaten. I mean, God made that clear in Psalm 78. There was a purpose for it. He rejected them. He allowed that to happen. He surrendered his glory. He allowed himself, if you will, the the ark to be captured. And so there was a purpose in that. And it is this, indifference towards God can be disastrous and it is a common problem throughout scripture malachi you remember when 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 the the prophet of malachi the last prophet to speak before you know 400 years of no word from god silence and he says oh that you would close the temple gate oh that you would stop offering these useless sacrifices to me god is speaking to the prophet and he's saying the very thing that they were commanded to do for years god is sick of it why because their hearts were so far removed from the practice they had gone from relationship to ritualism from relationship to religion and god was sick of it and he says i, I will not accept your offerings malachi 1:10. isaiah 29 says and the lord says so these people they they say they're mine they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote tradition, ritualism, religion. Jesus in Luke 6, 46 says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? So we see it's a common theme throughout scripture, and there are many other verses that allude to that. And it reminds me of the hymn that we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, Right? It's just this problem of indifference, and unless we look at the scriptures and say that's just a problem they had then, how many of you have struggled with it in your own life? Just a season of indifference. I do, and I'm the pastor. There there are seasons in life when God's word doesn't move me like it should, when when worship is just something that we attend, when when praying is just obligation, right? I got to pray. I mean, I'm expected to pray. I'm the pastor. I need to pray, or I need to prepare to preach, so I need to open the word, not because I want to relate with my father, but because I have a job to do. If I can become indifferent towards the things of God, I know that all of us also can. As I mentioned a while ago, indifference toward God can, can be disastrous. That is true as well. It can be disastrous in our life because here's, here's one of the things I think that happens is when we become indifferent toward God, we start leaning on human wisdom rather than God's wisdom. Look back at the story. What happened? They ask a great question. Why has God allowed us to be defeated by the Philistines? Great question. Wrong answer. 
Who was in their community? Samuel. Samuel was now speaking on behalf of God. It says the word was plentiful at that moment because of Samuel, right? So they could have easily gone to Samuel and said, hey, prophet of God, what's going on? Why did this happen? But they didn't do that. And in those days, words from Samuel were equivalent to words from God. And so instead of seeking godly wisdom, they, they seek human wisdom and they say, hey, what do we need to do? Hey, let's go get the ark and let's carry it into battle because this time it's going to help us out. Which brings me to another thing. When we're indifferent, a lot of the things, uh, symbolism begins to take more uh, of a root in our heart. and we, we, we raise it up to a, a more precious level than the real thing. Listen, we've got the cross. I'm thankful for the cross, aren't you? But the cross is a symbol. It's not the cross that we worship. It's not the cross in and of itself that has the power. It's not the cross tattoo. It's not the cross necklace. It's not the ichthus fish sticker on the back of the truck. It's not the scriptures that we wear on our t-shirt. It's not the, the music that we listen to. All of that is symbolism. And it's great. But if we stop there, then we're missing. We're missing so much more, aren't we? And we're in danger of becoming indifferent to the things of God. Things aren't, they aren't important to us any longer. They, they don't move us the way they used to, to move us. And I think that's a, a scary place to be. And indifference toward God in our lives can also be disastrous because now we're not looking at sin the way God looks at sin. And then if we're not careful, we just put one foot in it and we're indifferent towards it. Yeah, whatever. Doesn't bother me anymore. And that sin can grow and it can lead us in the deeper sin and it can be absolutely destructive in our life. Amen. Or how about just the things of God? God says, love one another. And we're like, yeah, I just don't really, I like, I like people, but I don't, I don't love some of them. I know God tells me to forgive. In fact, it's commanded, but, you know, and when, I, when, you're, when you're indifferent towards God's word, it's like, well, it's okay not to forgive this person. And, and all of this stuff, we look at it, and it's like, it's not being obedient to what God has called us to do. And so here's one thing that we need to know, church. God blesses not ritualism. He doesn't bless symbolism. He doesn't bless, like, I mean, like, like the Ark of the Covenant is some kind of lucky rabbit's foot, right? Let's carry it into battle and it's going to produce results. And we see there that they were dead wrong, literally. And so we don't want to reduce the relationship that we have with God to symbolism. And when we do that, it's just like we're missing the most important thing. And we become indifferent. And when we become indifferent, our heart towards God's word changes, towards people changes. And we're in a very dangerous territory. We start to feel like alone. You ever feel seasons in life when you feel like, you know, where's God at in my life? I mean, I know God's omnipresent. He's everywhere, but I don't feel him in my life, right? Or you feel like God has rejected you. I must have sinned one too many times this time. God's finally had it up to here with me, and he's done, right? Have you ever felt that way? Or maybe you have no peace in your life. Maybe you have no joy. You're not experiencing that joy or that hope that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. All of those things are disastrous in the life of the believer, aren't they? Or worse, you get involved in some sin, some careless sin, and, you know, it's innocent at first, but it grows to the point where it does major destruction to you or your family or your church or your community. I, I think we get what I'm throwing is that indifference towards God can be disastrous. It was then and it is, it is now. So are you following me so far? Common problem, and I believe it's a common problem today. And so the question then, I believe, is what's the solution? If it's, re if, it, if it's a reality that all of us, from time to time, will struggle with indifference. I mean, think about it. Why do you come to church? Well, I'm supposed to be there. Why do we worship? Well, it's just something that we do. Well, why do we pray? Well, that's just part of the program. Why do we preach the word? I don't know. I just want to hear some cool stuff from God's word. I mean, we, we can come to church and we can be involved in church. We can be committed to church, faithful to church, and completely miss the whole point for which we're here. Worship becomes just some music that we listen to rather than an opportunity for us to engage the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And so how do we avoid that? How do we come back from that? I think that's also a good question. Turning from indifference to a renewal, a renewed love and passion for Christ. I want us to consider, first off, Jesus' word in Revelation chapter 2 as he's dealing with the churches, right? And one of the churches is Laodicea. Remember Laodicea? He said, hey, I know your works. You're neither hot nor you're cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But then the church of Ephesus, he said, I, I, I know your works. Man, you've done some great works. You've exposed false, false prophets. 
He was commending them. They were doing a lot of great things. But he said, I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love or you've lost your first love. And he goes on to tell them, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first or be renewed. Now, looking at the text in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel also, as I said, there's a lot of stuff going on between 4, 5, and 6, and even in the 7. And Samuel steps up as the leader that he is, and he asks the question, if you want to return to the Lord, if you want to return to the Lord with all your heart, then here's what he tells them to do. Get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and they worshiped only the Lord. And as you go on and read the story, you know that the next time it's a completely different story. Indifference toward God can be disastrous. And so how do we avoid the indifference? How do we as Christians find that first love, that passion that we once had again before? What do we do with indifference? I want to give you four things quickly and I'll close. The first one is to remember. Remember. Jesus, in the, 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 the one that we just read, he says, remember from whence you've fallen. And, and I just want to encourage you and I to just remember back when you first gave your life to Christ. To the early days in your walk with Christ. You know, the music was fresh. I remember some of the worship songs that I heard. They would either bring a smile to my face because they just, they just blew up God's image in my mind of what he's like, how awesome he is and how holy he is, Right? Or some of these songs would make me just weep as I consider just how holy he is and how not holy I am. I remember how I used to dig into the scriptures and I just couldn't get enough. Or sermons, I would not only go to church and listen to sermons, but I would find people, to, you know, back in the day before the online, you'd find cassette tapes of other preachers that you liked and you'd listen to those. Or you're reading books and you just, you can't get enough of God's word. It's like you're feeding at the trough and you just got no governor on you and you're just going and going and going. Remember... The first days, how were you when you first came to Christ? The joy, the peace that you had, the willingness, the desire to want everybody else to know, the hope that you have, have found. And so the first thing I would say is to remember from where you have fallen. You remember the prodigal son, the story? What did he do? Hey, this is the son of a noble man who, who was often living wildly. And it says when he came to his senses, that's remembering from where he come from. When he came to his senses, as he's in a pig pen eating the slop that they were feeding the pigs, he had this epiphany. He remembered from whence he had come from, and he said, you know what? My father's house got plenty of food. <laughs> Duh. Remember, I would challenge us today to remember from where we've come from. Remember how far we've drifted. Here's the dangerous thing about indifference. We never do it intentionally. It's like being in a boat without a motor or without an oar, and you just let whatever happens happen, Right? You're, you're talking and you're not paying attention and you notice after a while you've drifted so far away from where you once were at. And I think that's what happens in indifference. We don't just be indifferent just because like, I just feel like being indifferent. We just kind of go through the motions of ritualism, religion. We kind of just pull the oar up in the boat, if you will, and we just drift slowly. The problem is the longer it goes, the further away we drift from that passion, that presence, that fellowship of God. And so indifference toward God can be disastrous. So remember from whence you come back, your zeal for God, your worship, his word, all those things. Remember. And secondly, I would say return. So you go back to the prodigal son, and what did he say? He remembered, he came to the conclusion that, hey, it's better at my father's house. He says, I will get up and I'll go home. Now to go home, he's going to have to eat a little crow, right? Because he made some really bad choices. But he, he made the decision to go home, to return to his father. Let me just tell you something. God never left and God never leaves. That's the good news for us today, right? In fact, somebody posted a picture this morning of Michelangelo's picture of, you know, God and Adam, you know, where they're almost touching fingers. And they brought up this point, which I never recognized before, but I thought was really cool, is God's hand, his finger was fully extended. And if you look at the picture of Adam, his finger is just kind of like this. Like he, he, he's got his finger up, but he's not fully trying to reach God. And I think the conclusion of that picture is this. God's always done everything he can. He's always there. He's never going to leave. And it's up to man, free will, if you will, to say, you know what? I want to reach out and connect with God. And the responsibility is on you and me to return to him. Here's the good news. His mercy's new every morning. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We're faithless. He's faithful. That's some great news, right? 
And so we might feel like, man, I just feel like a dirt bag with this indifference in my life. I recognize it. It's heavy on me. But the good news is God never left. And he says, hey, let's reason together with one another. Sit down. Let's have a talk. In fact, that's how he said it in, um, I believe it's Isaiah. He says, come now, let's settle this, or let's reason with one another. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Hosea, in his time, um, this, this repentance, he's calling this, his people to repentance. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. We must return to the Lord. James says it this way, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So return to him. Come back to him. Remember, return. Here's the third one, repent. Repent simply means to turn from something to another. And so in this case, it's turning from our sin recognizing our sin. What did the prodigal son do? He went to his father and said, Father, I've sinned against you. He began pouring his guts out to his father, acknowledging his sin. And the same thing is true for us. It's indifference causes us to get tangled up into sin, recognizing that and just saying, Lord, I admit to you, I've let some things go in my life and I've gotten knee deep into some sin and I ask that you'll forgive me of that sin and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And I confess that to you as sin. Help me to turn from that sin and turn back toward you. Are you catching it? So remember, return, repent, and lastly, renew. Going back to Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus, he says, do the things that you did at first. Renew, start again, a do-over, if you will. Do the works that you did at first. Open that Bible. You're like, Shane, I struggle with the Bible. And listen, God's word is a spiritual book. Start with prayer. God, I'm about to open your word, and I want to hear from you. And so would you please reveal yourself to me. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful truths from your word. That's my prayer all the time. And I'm the pastor. So open, open that Bible and, and ask the Lord to show you uh, himself through scripture. Start praying again. Shane, I feel like my prayers hit the wall. Yeah, there's seasons where we all do that way. But I can promise you that when we're indifferent towards God, we're not intentionally trying to aim those prayers at God. And so the point is, like, repent from that and say, renew. And God, just put a, put a passion and a desire in me again to, to spend the time praying to you because he, he wants to meet with us. And we have that medium of prayer where he does so. And it's beautiful when we do it. And I don't know about you, but every time I commit to that, even when I'm not feeling it, even when it's work, And when I get through with that time of prayer, if it's heartfelt, I mean, I'm not just like blah, 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 but I mean, I'm intentional seeking after God, then I I get up from that time of prayer and things are just different. Anybody else ever feel that? Start again. Start praying again. Renew your love and your passion for worshiping him. When's the last time you considered the weight of his glory? When's the last time you considered how awesome God is. You consider for them the Ark of the Covenant being stolen from them was the equivalent of who, who loses God? Right? How do you like to be the grandkids of that generation? Like, you guys lost God? Who does that? But I would say before they lost God, they traded their relationship with Him with ritualism. They traded it with traditionalism. They traded it with religion. Let us learn from their lesson and not do the same. Because we have a holy, loving, merciful, good God. And we can draw near to him. He says he'll draw near to us. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I think we can be as close to him as we want to be. Only let us recognize the drift. Let us recognize the, 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 the indifference in our hearts and our lives. And let us return to him. Let me just say this as a side note. We're usually good at seeing indifference in other people. So we'll look at our culture today. I mean, I look at our political culture and the church culture and go, our church needs to wake up. We're letting too many things go by and we're indifferent to the things that are going on around us and we need to do something. But I have a harder time looking in the mirror and saying, Shane, you got some indifference going on in your heart. 
Oh, that we would wake up to the indifference in our own lives and recognize that indifference towards God can be disastrous. But the good news is God is merciful and he loves us. And even though we are so indifferent, so hard-headed and hard-hearted, God says, come, let's sit down together. Let's reason together. And though your sins are as red as crimson, I'll wash them as white as snow. That's good news, isn't it? That's great news. And so renew, start again, do the works that you did at first, open the Bible, start praying, renew your love and your passion for worshiping him. And let me tell you this, Satan loves apathy. Satan loves indifference. Because if he can get us distracted, he can get us to drift away from our, our not relationship, but our fellowship, that intimacy with God, then he can create a lot of issues in our own lives, in our church lives. And how many know that we... And I just feel like that we're getting closer and closer to the end of time. I'm not going to put the date on it because that's dumb because the Bible says don't do that. But the Bible says like birth pains. You see it coming. The seasons, you see it coming. And, and church, don't you just see it coming around us? And, and when Christ returns, I wonder if he'll return to an apathetic, indifferent church of people or if he'll return to a church that's zealous for him, that's passionate for him. No matter what goes on in our life, God is still worthy of that worship and that honor. And God blesses our obedience. Relationship is so much greater than ritualism. So you can have all your traditions. You, you can, in fact, I went through a season in my life where I was kind of anti-traditional. I didn't want anything to do. If it was traditional, I'm not doing it. But reality is we all create traditions, right? We, we, we have a meal every Sunday with a family. That's a new tradition. It's a good tradition. But we tend to try to lean on those things, and we, we hope that, much like they did with the Ark of the Covenant, like these traditions are what makes us okay. And like, I'm going through a bad time, and so let me just grab my cross, or let me just, you know, uh, listen to some worship music. And he would much rather have our hearts, much rather have our hearts than our, <clears throat> our sacrifice, if you will. And that's another lesson you learn later when he says obedience to, to the first king, Saul, obedience is greater than sacrifice. So know this, God blesses obedience. Not mysticism, not the good luck charm, if you will. God blesses obedience in his people. And so indifference is a, a grave issue that we need to protect ourselves from, recognize it in our own hearts, and remember, return, repent, and renew. And the good news is it can be fresh again right now today as it was the first time you believed. Isn't that cool? And God's not going to be like, well, it's about time you came around. Mm-mm. Nope. His mercy is new every morning. And so my challenge to you today, I don't know where you're at in your walk, but just to, to recognize it in your own heart and maybe just pray this prayer. God, is there some indifference in my heart towards people, towards your word, towards worship? Have I become callous? None of this is important to me. It's just something that I, I do. Have I, like that boat um, analogy, have I drifted away from just that passionate relationship and fellowship that I once had with you? And, and the first step is just recognizing it, right? Remember from where you have drifted away from or remember from whence you have fallen. And just make the conscious effort to return. All right, God, I'm back. I'm back. And if there's a sin that's caused you to get into that indifference and, and, and the temptation is to feel like you're far away from God, God doesn't want anything, so you hide from him, hide from him. David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, what did he do? He felt like he was so far from God, but he says, when I confessed my sin, when I confessed my sin, like that joy was restored, right? And so for us, just recognizing that, repenting of those sins, turning from them, turning back to him, and just start over. God, here I am, fresh slate. Today is a new day, and I want to honor you, and I want to serve you. Because church, he's coming back. He's coming back. And that's good news, right? So I want to finish strong, knowing that he's returning soon. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Lord, the conviction that comes from your word, Lord, I know that some of this might be weighty. Um, but Father, I'm sure it was ex especially weighty for the children of Israel in their day. I can imagine the, just the trauma and the disaster that felt like that had befallen on them. And as we look with our perspective back at the whole context, we can see clearly what led them to that tragic day. And Lord, if we'll just be honest, we realize that we all are humans and we're all created Lord, from the, the dirt of the earth, and we all come from the first man, Adam, and, and because of that, we're prone to wonder, we're prone to sin, we're prone to leave the God we love. And, and my prayer would be that you would just expose to our own hearts, Lord, not that we see it in others, but we see it in ourselves. 
uh, this, this indifference. And Father, that we would recognize it as not a good place. And we'd recognize it as potentially disastrous in our own hearts, our marriages, our families, our schools. Lord, and that we would simply return to you. Father, if there's any sin that's in our way and we become so callous to it, we don't even recognize it as sin any longer. Holy Spirit, that you would just put a spotlight on that in our own lives, that we would recognize and see it for what it is. And we'd be brave enough and willing enough to say, Lord, I turn from that sin and I turn back to you. Lord, renew within us a, a clean heart and uh, the heart that we had at the beginning when we, when we served you. Lord, if there's someone here that's not placed their faith in you yet, Lord, I pray, God, especially they're going to be indifferent towards the things of, of your word and your ways. And I pray, God, that you would show them their need for you, their brokenness apart from you, and that you would just show yourself powerful on their behalf. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. We thank you for your love that never fails. We thank you that there's nothing too difficult for you. There's no person too far lost, too far gone that you can't find and rescue them. And so, Father, we praise you. And Lord, just to think that you love us that much, that while we're in the middle of our gunk, in the middle of our sin, you sent Christ to die for us is overwhelming. Lord, let our response simply be one of adoration, love, obedience, and honor. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.